0: I found a couple of different things. And one of those key things was guy. And you know, I started to challenge where I was and where I wanted to go and through that lens, which is all about bringing essentially what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for and what the world needs. And so I pushed through that. And for me, what I love, and, and I'd left it for a while, what I love is sport. I love sport. I love the power of sport. I love what sport can do. I looked at what I was good at. I was able to say, okay, well, I'm really good at understanding people, and I'm also working out, good at working out how to win. And whenever you're trying to tackle a problem or tackle, find a solution or whatever, you're trying to win. What can I be paid for? Well, at that time, I was like, well, I can be paid to be a researcher. I can also be paid to be a strategist. Can I do that in sport? Yes, I can. Uh, and then what does the world need? And I truly believe that sport needs to be better. And so the more that I pulled on this, I, the more I found my icky guy and where I wanted to be and what I, what my mission and purpose was. And so then I pivoted away from what I was doing. I took everything that I'd learned along the way, put it in my toolkit and said, okay, sport is now where I want to go and that's what I want to do and that's, the ch- that's my purpose in life and what I want to be able to achieve. And yeah, I've been doing that for what now, seven to eight years ever since.
1: G'day guys. On the show today is Adrian Tobin. Adrian is the founder and chief design officer of Kinlab a consultancy that makes sport better through research, human-centered design and storytelling. Adrian and his team's work includes projects like creating a fan experience strategy for the Australian Grand Prix and after falling participant rates, working with Cricket Australia to transform the grassroots cricket experience as well. Adrian is a fascinating guy and a highly curious person who will cause you to think deeply about how you go about your career. This is a long one but if you stick around to the end I think you'll find it well worth your time. Let's go.
2: I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final?
0: You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision.
1: Having a network is one of the most important things you can do.
2: I didn't necessarily follow my passion, I followed my curiosity.
1: Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back.
0: And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sports podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker and joining me is the human-centered designer, Ruben Williams. We had two mates who met at Cricket Australia back in the day and each week we learn how people made it in sports. We tease out their career decisions, their work habits, their skills and everything they do that makes them great, all so that you can learn how to get in get promoted, and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubes, you are the human-centered designer. How are you, my friend?
2: G'day, Ryan. I'm very well, thank you. I'm not sure about that. That might actually uh, you know, be an insult to actual human-centered designers <laughs> if I was to join that uh, club too. But uh, I do try and take little bits from the way they operate because they are very smart people. So um, uh, happy to be here and happy to be here for the 250th time. I don't know how that happened that has gone incredibly quickly to think that we no. have had 250 conversations plus no. <laughs> is extraordinary in itself <laughs> but um it's an it, insane stat i know <laughs> do you remember when we trove. started and we were like let's just do it for three months and if we hate it then we can yeah. stop and if no one's listening then we'll stop and 250 episodes no. <laughs> we're still talking crap wow. but it's been a lot of fun people have spoken the people have spoken that's right that's right they've they've forced us into catching up every
1: week (laughs) which we love (laughs) 250 we've had a conversation 250 times which is yeah incredible we've probably spent i'd love to do the stats on how long we've spent on uh on a podcast but yeah it's an incredible stat did we think we'd get to Mm. 250 i'm not too sure but uh it's been incredible Uh, and we do love to celebrate our wins, Rubes. We don't sort of, we don't let them go by and, and not think about you know the good times and celebrate the, uh, the good milestones. And I guess two fifty, we always kind of talk about cricket scores on the podcast, and we've reached two fifty. There's not many who have reached two fifty on a on a cricket field. Uh, I'm not sure if you know of any
2: two fifty. No, definitely not me. You'd have to be looking at um right. at the the elites. I think um I'm trying to think yeah. yeah. If Smudge has gone past 220-odd or or Marnus. Yeah. manas was pigging yeah. out on runs one summer, I, I recall. Warner made a massive 300 against Pakistan yeah. the other year. Um, but but uh, 250 is tough.
1: But I, I remember us talking about Dizzy Gillespie. Mm. Yeah. 250 is like, yeah, you, you've just torn them yeah. apart. So anyway, not sure how many got to 250, but we can, uh, we can raise the bat again. Um, but it got me thinking around some of our favourite episodes of the last 50 episodes because if we're talking about 250, we'll be here for a little while. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, if you've got any that come to mind. But for me, obviously, Brian Taylor was amazing. Um, we've had both the great cricketer boys as well, which was just huge. And there's a lot to unpack just from those two, to be honest.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's quite phenomenal when you look back at our most recent podcasts, say the last 50 episodes. Because we look at our, we look at the uh, success of each episode based on the most downloads in the first seven days, and at the moment, the top ten leaderboard of most downloads in the first seven days is currently filled with like eight or nine episodes from the last fifty. So Brian's in there, I think both TGC mm. uh, people in there, uh, Melissa Lawton and Shane Leonage are both in there. So Melissa Lawton from Sale GP. Shane Lienage, a performance analyst for Arena Zabalenka. Um, both of which uh, led to me having coffees with them over in London. So that that was been that was a really cool thing that this podcast has led to as well. Mm.
1: It's kind of like uh, we use the podcast for our own networking purposes, and uh, we are very lucky to have these conversations because we have this one, and then we can follow up for a coffee down the track as well. Um, but two others that that come to mind as well: Danny Bowren from Deakin University a huge part of the podcast and how we were able to really jump in and do what we love and and that was you know jumping in the podcast initially so Danny was a huge part of that Um, first tears on the podcast in the last 50 episodes as well Rube's, we would hate to not mention (laughs) that Um, and then we had Jordan Ionuzi as well so we've had some really great international guests not just here in Australia Jordan's just returned to Australia, mm. by the way. But while, when we were doing that episode, he was at the New York Red Bulls, which was uh, which was pretty cool as well.
2: Mm, absolutely, and then not to mention we've had a couple of amazing CEOs, a um, couple of amazing female CEOs in that as well. So Michelle Enright, who was the CEO of the T Twenty World Cup, joined us uh, late last year. Libby Owens, CEO of Champion Data, as well, and then around that mark we had. Um, uh, General Manager of the Melbourne Stars, Blair Crouch, jump on for a great chat too. But then um, mm. one of my favorite episodes came when uh, Rana Hussain jumped on the podcast, and this came from a recommendation from one of our members called Ankara. She uh, is a, a girl from India who wants to be a sports presenter in Australia. Didn't know it was possible if you were from an Indian background, but when she saw Rana doing her sports presentation work at the T20 World Cup at the Adelaide Oval she saw her got inspired thought I really mm. want to do it and uh, has gone on to be a presenter at um the Mumbai Indians in the IPL she like accomplished her like 10 year goal yeah. in like a matter of 6 months after seeing Rana and uh to be able to share with Rana that she was her inspiration was a, an incredible moment which um I think they've now connected and now they're best friends as well so that's been another cool thing to come out of it
1: yeah, we love that. We love good podcast stories. There's been a few absolute crackers along, along the story, along the way. So um, that's just a little insight in the last 50 episodes. Um, we, we didn't reel off the numbers there, but I'm sure if you go through your feed, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll be able to find some of those in there. Um, but happy 250, Rubes. Uh Happy
2: 250,
1: Ryan. It's been great. And uh, we absolutely love, uh, we love doing this. We're going <laughs> to keep doing it. So we love it. Um Speaking of the podcast, we've got a big episode, so let's get cracking uh, on that. Um, if you don't already, follow us on LinkedIn, and if you want to connect with us and hundreds of others working in the sports industry, become a member of the SportsGrade community. And speaking of the community, there's been some ripper stories uh, in the last week, and uh, I'll let Rouge take away with those.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. As always, lots of, lots of wins coming through. Heaps of FIFA Women's World Cup action. Uh, this new channel in the wild is going off. Everyone's bumping into each other at work, which is awesome to see. Oh, <laughs> it's so good.
1: It's the best. I love it. I'm pretty active in it
2: as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah you've bumped into heaps of people. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, a special shout out to Rachel Bromley, who has just become the partnerships coordinator at Netball Queensland, specifically with the super netball team, the Queensland Firebirds, uh, she mentioned to us that you know she's been trying to break in for a while and thinking about how to break in and been finding it very tough. So for her to finally get that opportunity and I think she said like now she can finally say I work in sport, which is such a, a cool thing to be able to feel. So well done to you, Rachel. Uh, as always, we've got plenty of events coming up. We've got a job fair coming up with She Hoops, which is Lauren Jackson's organization that helps people or helps women work in in basketball and um so they're going to be jumping on to uh, explain a bit more about their organization and then every fortnight we have our speed networking events where you can meet a whole lot of members uh very quickly uh on top of that there's a whole bunch of jobs going out i believe southeast melbourne phoenix put up a role recently ryan uh, any yeah. others that come to mind there
1: there's uh there's a few lately um you know and i think like inspire tech as well it's a great organization mm. um, doing great work in mental health in sports. They're, they're a sports technology company, so check them out. Um, there's a bunch, Cricket New South Wales. There's a few, um, Kojo, there's been a few lately. Grand Prix as well, have put a few up as well. So it's jobs galore at the moment. Um, there's plenty of opportunity. So all you need to do mm. is jump in and become a member and you can, you can find those.
2: Fantastic. Well, if you'd like a quick email from us each Friday where we share – little blog posts about how people are getting jobs in sport, little tidbits, upcoming events. Then uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash news- newsletter to subscribe. There's a link in our show notes to join.
1: Brilliant. As we said at the top of the episode, this is a long one, but a really, really good one. So stick around with us and this is going to be an absolute cracker. So grab a pen and enjoy this chat with Adrian Tobin. Everybody wants to study at one of the top unis in the world for sport. And at Deakin, you can do just that. So don't miss your chance to see what sets them apart at their campus open days this August. Check out the -the state-of-the-art facilities, hear from their world-class academics, meet with current students and experience the campus vibe that they're famous for. Join thousands of the brightest students who have already registered to attend this unmissable event. Search Deakin Open Day and take your first step towards achieving your ultimate career. The Geelong Open Day is on the 20th of August, 9am to 3pm. And of course, Burwood Open Day is the 27th of August at 9am to 3pm. So check it out now and start your career in sport. Adrian,
2: welcome to the Sportsco podcast.
0: Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it, mate. How are you, Ruben?
2: Very well, Adrian. I've been uh, looking forward to picking your brain for for some time now because I find the work that you do fascinating. I find the the content that you put out on LinkedIn fascinating as well. And um, to introduce people to uh, what you guys do, I want to um, take you back to a, a message that I sent you on LinkedIn in in 2020. I'm not sure if you recall this, but I think at the time you put out a post. Asking if anyone had any questions about uh, human-centered design and um, some of the tools and other different practices that people use around that. And so I thought, what a great opportunity. Adrian's an expert in this space. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fire away here. So, um, I want to remind you of the the question yeah. that I sent you, <laughs> and uh, I'd love to hear your response again. So for people who are interested <laughs> or getting new to this space, but the question was this: Last year I ran a human-centered design workshop with my cricket team. And the goal of that was to collectively decide on the batting game plan. The result of it was positive. Everyone knew their role. We chased down four totals in a row. However, the process made some members of the team a bit uh, bored and they lost interest because it was quite lengthy. However, with a new season coming up again, we we obviously want a new, better game plan. and We want to decide on that. But my question for you, Adrian, is what human-centered design approach would you suggest to create a, a shared goal in a team if you only had sixty minutes and knew a few of the members weren't so open-minded to this sort of approach, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a really, that's a great question. Uh, okay, I will do my best with that again. I hope I answered okay the last time, but um, I'll give it a shot this time. Uh, basically, if I was to use this approach, um, I would um, sit the guys down. I would talk to them about who you're going to play. Uh, is it um, you know what's 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 about? Have you played them before? Have you seen them play other teams? What's their statistics? How can you gather together as much intelligence about them as possible Uh, and bring that to the table? Um, And also assess yourselves um, and talk to uh, how you guys are performing. Where's your strengths? Where's your weaknesses? A little bit of a self analysis. then it's a case of uh, how might we, which is generally a, a launch point for any ideation. How might we beat X team? Simple as that. Um, and so uh, what you'll sur- start to surface and you'll go through a process of how might we beat them, you start out with some initial brainstorming, everyone does brainstorming. Um, but what I would suggest and what we normally suggest is, is that people uh, basically write down what they think first themselves. Uh, generally, the, the um, extroverts, like probably us, uh, the three of us, they fill the room with their ideas and, and the introverts generally keep things to themselves. By writing it down yourselves uh, to start with, you're then able to, um, you'll be able to get the extroverts in the, and the introverts. You put them all up on a wall. How are we going to win? Basically, you basically theme those things up. You'll generally probably find that there'll be somewhere between five to eight themes where the, the boys and girls, guys, whoever's part of the, 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 the conversation. Put a range of different things together, and they all end up being the same. Um, and so you'll end up with between five to eight ways of beating the team. Uh, you'll then basically go right. There's our there's our methods of winning. Um, how do we execute that? Uh, and then start to do some execution, and then and thinking about how you execute on it. Uh, then, uh, if you really wanted to get interesting and and make it tactile, then uh, create some game scenarios. And go based on this scenario if we did this what would be the result and then you should surface with everyone agreeing yep that's the five ways we win and this is how we would execute it and away you go
2: amazing that that was a lot more in depth than uh what i got in 2020 so i'm glad (laughs) we've got this recorded i'll keep coming back to this season after season now
1: (laughs)
0: Nice. Nice. Oh, so, um, yeah, hopefully, that's, uh, that kind of gives you a sense. Uh, it, it is, it can be a little bit more complex than that. But if you want to try and keep people on the, it's just all about keeping it as real as possible. Stay away from the jargon, stay away from and just make it as tactile and make sure that people can feel that it. it's that's what human that's what human centered design is about. And, and and it's about ensuring that people can can stay nice and close to the challenge or nice and close to the problem and it's really tactile for people so that you can solve it the more that you get lost in language and mumbo jumbo and jargon and and then all of a sudden people get confused and they jump off and so the more than you can just use plain language keep it really simple and easy um, and and take people on a journey uh through that then you'll keep them engaged and then as soon as you get into
2: will this actually work Brilliant. and create scenarios, they'll bite on it. So, yeah. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon we didn't do the scenario planning last time. And I reckon that, that's where all, like, all the fun is, I reckon. And yeah. um, I was going to say, Rudes, did,
1: did the session consist of much of that but, uh, in the Wycliffe change rooms?
2: Well, it, it was a lot of, um, like, everyone had, like, a big piece of paper and we had a whole bunch of sticky notes and we, like, would go around the room and write down a strength Say, say Ryan, you had a bit of paper, I would write, all right, strength, strong in the front foot, (laughs) uh, weakness, uh, not very patient at the crease. And so then everyone would have like this collective, you know, essentially brainstorm of your strengths and weaknesses. And, and then we kind of had like an overview of what we, what we were working with before we could go forth and say, all right, well, how do we beat these teams now? But, um. Our uh, persistence with it was the was the issue because we kind of stuck to the plan for I think three or four games and then and then it fell off and we missed finals. More sessions required. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> awesome, thank you for that, Adrian. That was terrific. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, Adrian. We start every episode. Uh, I'm sure you'd listen to a few episodes yourself, but we start every episode with some quick fire questions so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better straight off the bat. So here's a few questions for you, um, a quick short answers required, so I'll start. Um, What was your first ever job?
0: First ever job, Um, in a previous life, I was a professional athlete. I signed a a sports contract when I was 16 years of age with Kellogg's um, and I was part of the cereal wars at the time, Uncle Toby's and Kellogg's Nutri-Grain and I raced as a professional surf man for for a good eight years there. So that was that was my first job and, and, and it definitely, uh, it, it opened my uh, my mind in lots of different ways. Amazing. And uh, what did you study at university? Uh, so I studied, uh, first of all, I did my Bachelor of Business. So, and, and then post that, I, uh, I moved on and did a, an MBA. Um, so a Master of Business Administration, then I've done a Master's of Marketing as well. Um, so uh, yeah, they're all through the University of Newcastle. So that's my, uh, that's where where I grew up and a wonderful university that do and deliver exceptional programs.
1: Nice. And uh, what's your favorite sporting moment?
0: Uh, I'm a dad. I'm a girl dad. Very proud girl dad, but also a boy dad as well. So I'm fortunate enough to have uh, have both. Uh, I, my favorite sporting moments are just the, the look on my kids' faces when they, they progress a skill or they do something that was unexpected for them and just seeing that on a tra- on the side of the training ground or on a weekend yeah you know, and now as a dad there's just nothing that beats that i i love that i love a big sporting event like the next person i've been to to a bunch um especially some bucket list ones but now that i'm i'm my, my kids are at a certain age where they're really starting to build a relationship with sport um there's nothing more that i like when i see that smile that
2: just and that that gleam in their eyes, uh, that's thats gold to me. Amazing. I love hearing that. It's the first time we've, we've had that dad answer, so that was heartwarming. Yeah. Uh, next question is, uh, what's your favorite interview question to ask of candidates?
0: Um, so th- I bounce around with this one. Uh, everything – for me, one that – I know I shared one with you guys, but I kind of pivot a little bit. Um, one I really like, and I'm going to share this one because it's – 250 episodes, right? So got to, got to break them mold yeah. a little bit. Um, one I love asking, which every probably employer or manager is going to hate is basically, when was the last time did you break the rules? When was the last time you, you did something different that went against what your manager said or your employer, whoever it may be? When did you trust your gut, go out, make something happen and it was successful for you? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, that's very much the person I am. I'm a a disruptive personality. My job is to, and what I I thrive on is solving problems and doing it in a really interesting and unique way and looking at things through a different lens. So, uh, yeah, and and that's a big part of what KinLab does is we don't follow, you know, the status quo. We we push boundaries and the people that I'd like to work with are ones that really challenge that status quo and, and help us and help us and our clients think differently about the challenges that they face.
2: Amazing. Funnily enough, if if someone asked me that now, my answer stemmed from a human-centered design workshop where um, I got thrown into this workshop about how do we increase participation for women and girls in sport and came out of it with an idea for the T20 Women's World Cup, which led to me going outside of my role and pitching this campaign idea. I'd never pitched anything at CA before. I didn't know who to go to, so I went straight to the CEO. And um, and, it got... (laughs) <laughs> got got that. approval for um, a fair whack of money and they got handed down and, and delivered. Um, so it's funny how these human-centered design workshops just kind of bring new ideas out of you and um, I had to work with my manager a bit to make sure that everything was getting done and he felt okay with me doing this other stuff. But um, uh, yeah, these programs got rolled out around the country because of that. So um, yeah, I would have enjoyed a question like that if there that had go. come up. <laughs>
0: there you go you would have nailed it um bravery it's a wonderful thing uh and then a a great leader will empower you rather than Mm -hmm. crush it uh and so uh you know from my perspective um you will be celebrated for that um you'll probably get a little rap over the knuckles but that's okay um the the, the leader should empower you to to get the result
2: yeah uh next one is are you associated with any grassroots clubs at the moment uh, the clubs that my um, my my young ones um,
0: bounce around in. My 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 son plays uh, rugby with Casuarina Rugby Club. Uh, I live in Kingscliff, which is about uh, thirty five minutes north of Byron Bay. Uh, it's beautiful, um, but yeah, they play. Uh, he plays rugby um, with Casuarina. My daughter is in Salt Surf Lifesaving Club. Uh, Avalon. uh and so and, and my son's going to join this year as well so i'm not deeply deeply engaged just yet um i had a, a life of of being involved um both volunteering and 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 racing in in sport and yeah as someone like myself i'm I'm not so gun ho and going in and going oh i used to be a professional at this and how can i make things better i'm much more standoffish and and we'll try and find a way to get a little bit more involved, especially on the surf life saving side as my kids get older so um, that I can volunteer a little bit more. But uh, yeah, volunteering is the lifeblood of sport in Australia, there is no doubt about that. And 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 thank thanks to every parent and and uncle and and auntie and, and grandparent out there that keeps this sporting system surviving because of their the commitment that they make to sport, that's for sure.
1: Absolutely. Um, what's one book or podcast that you'd recommend that's helped you?
0: Uh, there's a couple here, uh, and there's also um, one, that's, one that's super interesting is called Userpalooza. Uh, it's by a mate of mine, it's Nick Baumist, and essentially it's a, a, a field guide to applying what we do in user research. Uh, And so Nick is an expert at at field research or going out and undertaking behavioral research, um, social anthropology, etc. Nick's a Kiwi. He's a he's an absolute champion fella, um, and really knows what he's doing. And proud to say he's a friend of mine. And he wrote a wonderful book called usable losers. So um, I would uh, I would highly recommend checking that out um, as a book if you want to learn a little bit more about getting out and and talking to people and understanding what they need and where their problems are. So I'd point you in that direction. And the other one that I'm uh, I'm reading uh, a lot at the moment or kind of going back and forth from, that's a book that I really enjoy, is one that will sit on my my table or my desk or in the studio that I just keep flipping back and forth. And it's called Emotion by Design, um, which is another um, fantastic book by uh, the former chief marketing officer of Nike. Uh, And so that's that's one I'd point
2: to as well. So um, yeah, enjoy those amazing we'll have to dig nice. those up i reckon yeah and uh last one if you had 30 minutes to pick anyone's brain who would it be uh, love this question uh
0: i love the intersection and i'm so passionate about the intersection of sport creativity and design uh and but i'm addicted to high performance uh that's i think the former athlete in me and i just appreciate someone who is top of their game uh but i love the when they can show and, and explore other aspects of themselves. And so that person for me would be sitting down with Serena Williams uh, and having a good chat with her um, goat tennis player uh, and exceptionally creative person, uh, fashion entrepreneur, pushes boundaries in lots of different ways and and talking to her about obviously her tennis career, but where she started out and and, and how um, she was able to navigate what they navigated. Again, disruptive, her dad and her family, finding a pocket within the tennis community in America um, uh, was a, an amazing achievement for them as a group and as, as a family and then finding their way all the way through and being the best ever tennis player. And then what they do now on the business side of things and her entrepreneurial spirit, it's
2: wonderful. Incredible love it wow that was that was a fantastic set of quick fire questions yeah I that that um like Kellogg's Iron man partnership, one of the most iconic in australian sporting history probably <laughs> yeah
1: yeah That
2: no, was a it was a really funny time uh yeah <laughs>
0: The Uncle Toby's guys on Baywatch in their red swimmers carrying cars uh, <laughs> all the way through to carrying Madonna around through to the nutrigrain you know, us guys racing and climbing mountains and racing on beaches. And, yeah, it was a really interesting time in, in sport for, for for kind of ocean sports athletes at
1: that time. Really cool. You were probably on the screens when we were growing up, Adrian looking at the Kellogg's ads and all that kind of thing. So I've
2: always thought you were yeah, familiar. We-
0: <laughs> I don't, I don't want to give my age away too much, although I am getting a little snowy on the beer these days, but I, I, yeah, potentially I, I get, I meant that gets mentioned to me a little bit. They've seen me in a past life running around in, in swimwear, uh, yeah. neuro, yeah, fluoro-colored swimwear.
1: Well, at least. <laughs> feels
0: like an age ago. Yeah. For.
1: At least, you know, the rig's in order. It's great. So you, you've done well. <laughs> there you go. Um, Righto, so before we dive in, we, we touched on it a little bit in the intro, but for those who've never heard of the term human-centred design before, could you explain the concept for us, for those who who might not have been exposed to that before? Of course. Uh, uses, there's lots of
0: different language around it, okay? So you've got human-centred design. It's also termed design thinking, people-centred design, um, Yeah. It, language, it's essentially a problem solving process. Uh, It's a process to basically understand um, a problem, people that surfaces a problem, that you can then use creativity to solve. It's just really that it's, it can be really complex because behavior and behavior is incredibly complex, but the process is really simple. Um, and it just puts humans or people or customer at the center of that process. So you, you're continuing to focus on the problem that your consumer's having, or your the people you serve is having, or your athlete is having, the athletes in your, your cohort are having, surfacing what that problem is and then working out how to solve it for them then putting it in their hands and getting to test it trial it work out if it works it's called prototyping and then essentially once you feel really confident work out how to scale that solution across a a market or across a cohort or or across a population of people Um, yeah but realistically it's a problem solving process um, that essentially helps create change in the world whether that be in sport in health in um transport whatever it may be uh and
2: so yeah that's that's probably
0: as basic as i can put it
2: nice. no that was good yeah. is there um because like like when i first came across it it was through this outside body running this workshop and um uh but it seems like something that could be used every single day like internally particularly when i was a, at ca we try and adopt it a fair bit uh, at sports right now um what is the uptake of human centered design like across different industries and organizations you've worked with and do you think it's becoming more prominent or less or what where's it at yeah so i in
0: my uh, previous to Kinlab and previous to to um, really focusing in on sport a large portion of my career was applying different methodologies to tackle social problems so everything from domestic violence to health issues to A whole range of different things Uh, and that started for me around 15 years ago so uh, prior to that I was using other tools in health promotion and behavioral economics and a whole range of different things and human-centered design when I became aware of it um, through IDEO, um, which is probably the global leader in applying what we do, design thinking uh and so i became aware of that i read you know tim brown's book i was in one of the first intakes of um humans introductory to human-centered design that ideo um, were essentially uh running around the world and and i became aware of it and then essentially uh since then it's it's become a core part of what i do i've added systems thinking so i encourage people to check out systems thinking so it's a combination of human-centered design and systems thinking system you're thinking about a broader world. So think about geographic wise, it's like a town or a city, which is a system. And so within that system, people move and operate and do things. And so you map a system, but then you understand how people operate in that system. And that's what human centered design can really do is help you understand that and surface opportunities to innovate. And so where it's happened or how it's matured over time, is that early, early stages, it was heavily used in government, heavily used in finance and banking, um, where money really sat and where innovation, especially where technology transformation was happening earlier. So definitely in banking, where you saw banking apps and banking experiences advance. And so you know, those those early stage, that's where maturity really kicked off. Uh, and so it's it's quite mature in many industries. Uh, and so about in 2017. Uh, I started working with um, Sport Australia, Australian Sports Commission, and applying systems thinking and human-centred design to essentially work with them to design the digital vision and digital strategy for Australian sport. And from what uh, we could see, this was one of the first stages of Human-centered design being applied in the sports industry, uh, and so IDEO had done a little bit here and there for some professional clubs, but it really wasn't widespread. And so that that kind of was the early stages and kicked it off. And 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 over time, it's it, it's become the industry. The the sports industry has become more and more mature um, with it. Uh, and from my perspective, we're now starting to see a real turning point. Where, uh, in particular, um, some of the senior execs at, at Australian Sports Commission are talking about customer journeys a lot more than they ever have. They're talking about people-centred design and and undertaking um, you know, field or ethnographic research to better understand people. So, you know, if I'm if I'm to say. Till now, the sports industry has been quite immature and and the take up hasn't been as strong. We've been obviously pushing and I've been pushing hard with all of the work that we've been doing, but I think we're getting to a tipping point where it's going to become much more widespread. We're seeing even in the upcoming participation strategy um, for the Australian participation strategy that's coming through from um, Australian Sports Commission, one of the pillars is experience and so we're starting to see a real shift in maturity in the industry to say that, yeah, undertaking human centered design undertaking and using design thinking is, is, is now a pathway to improving experiences of people playing sport or, or undertaking recreation.
2: Mm. I think like for for people who would be thinking about how do we solve problems as a team and worrying about what their direct reports might think as a Previous direct report. It's a lot of fun. Like I enjoyed work a lot more when we were doing that sort of work. And even like Ryan, I used to come and join you and the uh, community cricket team on a few um, weekly updates. Like some of the human centered design practices were a core part of the weekly agenda. I recall.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent.
2: I, I
1: honestly, I'd never been exposed to that before, Rubes, until Adrian and Kid Lab came in. And I, I literally remember. You know, picking up the pen and uh, getting the poster notes on the wall. That's probably where we've, we've learned it from, to be honest. But it actually just created like a, a creative side of work. You know, like you're not just at your desk, at your computer doing your job. It's like, no, nah, actually use your mind and your own experiences to come up with what, you know, the future can look like. And it actually made work super, super enjoyable. So, yeah, um, I love it. It was absolutely awesome.
0: Yeah, and Cricket Australia has been one of the early adopters. We've been working with them for a number of years now and done, you know, umpteen projects. And and they've definitely been uh, pushing the boundaries when it comes to human-centred design. And AFL has been the same. Um, so the two the two big, the big sports in the country have definitely been applying this for a number of years now. Uh, and so the, it's now starting to spread to, uh, you know, Beyond those bigger sports now into into the government and and into some of the smaller sports uh, and so but you didn't even get to do the really fun stuff Ryan uh, and the really fun stuff and the workshops are great yeah uh, and and they're awesome for teams and connectings but to me and what I enjoy most is going out and living in people's shoes being out there with fans being out there with people playing cricket or playing afl you know spending time with coaches or referees just being in people's shoes Mm. and observing and interacting with them and communicating with them and surfacing such rich data that you can't get through surveys and 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 you know data analytics You, you get that you get that real raw and pure relationship data and sport is a sport is an an emotive relationship. You look at sport in any, like, you know, if you look at participation, why why would I run 10 kilometers and hurt myself and sweat? And why would I do that? That's just mental. It's because (laughs) it's emotive. Why would I put face paint on and put a scarf on and go to a stadium and yell at a group of fellas or girls or women or whatever it may be playing sport? Like, like, that's not a rational thing to do. So it's hyper, hyper emotional. Yeah. Our relationship with sport is really emotional, and so you know the power of ethnographic research and social anthropology, and and going out and being with people, is is helping us understand that really emotive relationship where people are doing weird and wonderful things um and and that's where you need to go to get that uh and it, it doesn't get surfaced in a white room it doesn't get surfaced yeah. in a survey or your data won't tell you why you know that crazy stuff's going on you've got to go out and experience it and that to me is is one of the big big pieces of why i love doing what i do is i'm insatiably curious and i love nothing more than going out and being in people's shoes and and understanding why they do what they do the, the why is what you know drives me and if if more if more people in in sport were driven by that why and questioning and getting out of their offices and getting out of from behind their desks and going out and being with the people that they serve and asking them questions observing them then sport would advance in such a phenomenal way uh, and so, and it's more than just going out and going to a sports match and just saying oh, I went to a sports match. You, you got to go out there with a bit of an intent and saying, well, I'd like to know a little bit more why people do this thing, and what. And so when you go out there, you explore that why, you observe them, you go and talk to some people, uh, and ask them why they're. They're doing what they do, and you'll surface up some amazing insights that will help you then lift off into creativity. So, the workshops are great, but nothing's better than going and being in people's
1: shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I, I remember that so clearly. I remember, I don't remember the project super clear, but I remember when you guys came coming to us and saying, We're actually going to go out and, and we're going to go live in the volunteer shoes and come back to you guys and what, what is actually happening out there. And I was like, Fourth, they're in for a wild ride (laughs) 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 being father and volunteers' lives. Um, yeah, yeah, but like you know, you're right. You know, what you came back with was just like super raw detail about how these people do their You know, it's like a second job, obviously, but you know, what their job is like at a career club and how can we you know, actually see what the problems are that isn't just from a form, that'll probably be the same answer they've given to every question on a form, you know, so, yeah, it's, um, it, it is super cool and not many people, I think, would um, be as ecstatic to get out in the field like you are. So you've, you're, you're dead right by saying if more people did get out and, and actually understood the challenges of the day-to-day, I think the, uh the sporting
2: landscape would be a little bit different i would have thought yeah mm. um you mentioned a whole host of weird and wonderful things and i'm sure a lot of people listening are thinking like who is this guy who just got this like wealth <laughs> of knowledge to to add a bit of context to, to all that could you share a bit about like um uh, the series of experiences that you've had from you know starting off of a professional athlete to you mentioned uh kinlab as well what what was kind of the journey for you in your career yeah absolutely
0: uh, so yeah a uh, professional athlete went and studied a lot at uni one of my first gigs paid gig in a business uh, was designing inclusion programs for people with disability uh, so understanding how people with disability and the barriers that they experience in getting out in the world um, you know just living their day to day going to the shops uh going and and, you know the gym undertaking recreational activities seeing their friends going to the beach whatever it may be and understanding what barriers they experienced in order to do that uh and then working out what programs the organization i was working for which is now which is called life without barriers how how could that organization deliver programs that help people living with a disability get out there that's where it started for me um you know i didn't want to sell mars bars i didn't want to uh you know sell newspapers i i I wanted to you know create change in the world and and that that was a big driver for me and that felt like where my mission my mission sat um and then i played around a little bit i ended up at a a really interesting agency uh in newcastle where where I, i grew up and spent most of my time and i was fortunate enough to to design um the uh, Newcastle Jets branding for A-League One. So the first season of the A-League. Wow, uh, the gold. The research and, and design. Yeah, so, yep, the why the Jets, obviously the RAF base and flying in formation and, and how that needed to link to at the time a relationship they had with Unite, uh, Newcastle United Football Club in the UK. So it was the Newcastle United Jets before it was just the Newcastle Jets and the why the, the planes fly this way because of the stripes and the linkages to Newcastle United, that squadron feel, so move as a team, that all of that branding piece. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to lead that design very young um, because obviously being a, a sports brand in a, in a regional center, they didn't have a lot of money. So when they come to an ad agency um, where, you know, it's, it's all about these ones, uh, it got tossed to the young guy 'Cause the client didn't have a lot of money to spend. And so I was fortunate enough to catch that and 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 I really enjoyed that project. But it's it also proved to me that I wasn't ready to go deep, deep, deep into sport again. Um, I, I you know, being a pro athlete, you live and breathe sport and the bubble that exists around sport. And I wasn't ready for that yet. And so I, I, I pivoted off back into working in government and focusing on on social impact issues and 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 you know, communicating and writing policies and developing programs, et cetera, in government and tackling a large number of different issues over a good, you know, 10 to to 14 years in that time. Uh, And that is where I kind of really honed my skills, really honed my skills with so many different raw challenges that were really, really complex. Um, human behaviour, especially when you're dealing up in the ends of suicide prevention or domestic violence or you know heart attack survivors or that that really raw and challenging behavioural space is is kind of where I really was had the opportunity to cut my teeth in problem solving. Um, but I also you know at the back end of that I I got to a stage where I was also a little traumatised. You spend a lot of time with people who are going through really challenging things. Uh, it can it can definitely have an impact uh and so you know when you interview 31 32 33 40 women who are experiencing domestic violence right at that moment and you're trying to understand what they need to help support them in the stage of life that they're in you don't you can't just drop that and leave it behind. you carry it with you um even just as a researcher and so that was a bit, and I ended up head of innovation at Beyond Blue and I did some really interesting things. And then I, I always knew well, within a couple of years prior to Beyond Blue, I was like, oh, well, I'd like to get into consulting. I want to, I want to, I'd been applying human centered design. Design thinking was something that I was very you know, passionate about. And so I, um, I shifted across and took the role of uh, head of um, social and sport innovation at a firm called Simplicit. Uh, which was a design thinking firm in Melbourne and Sydney um, that was doing wonderful work in particular in banking. And so I was focused on sport and social impact. Uh, and I also learned how to you know, run a consulting business. I learned the mechanics, I hadn't done that before and it, it helped me understand that. Um, and then uh, I pivoted off and, and took my gardening leave and decided that uh, I wanted to return to sport. Sport was something I was incredibly passionate about. It, was my passion and my mission in life. I just kind of put it aside for a little while. And then um, I started up KinLab and it's been a whole lot of sport and lifestyle ever since. And so that's kind of been my my journey, uh, but throughout that, and as I mentioned earlier on, uh, you pick up tools in your toolkit all the way through. And so I started out with your core basic, you know, your business degree. I then did my MBA and I, I did programmatic work and understood how to you know, research and design programs and build things that, and services and products. And then when you're doing that, you start to work out what are the right methodologies to use. There's stage and gate, there's health promotion, There's so you end up picking up all these processes that end up becoming very handy when you become a consultant, because essentially if a consultant doesn't have a kit bag of frameworks, then they're not a very good consultant um you basically go well here's the pro and i've got this kit bag of frameworks that will are applicable to that challenge or that problem to solve or whatever it may be and and you apply those and so through that period of time i i was very fortunate to use lots of different things and 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 different processes to to do the work and and now I get to apply them every day in, in what I'm doing with KinLab, which is, yeah, a, a human-centered design or an innovation agency um, that is focused on sport and lifestyle, but predominantly sport. And so we work with global brands um, in America, in Europe, and here in Australia, sports brands, to essentially, you know, our mission is to make sport better, and that's what we do. And so, yeah, hopefully that kind of gives you a bit of a sense of yeah. where I've come from and what I do now.
2: Absolutely. Now that was an incredible collection of experiences and very cool to hear that you've know you you know, you've, you've clearly identified what your purpose is and found a mm-hmm. way to, to come back to that and, and still do that every day. Um, I wanted to kind of dig into your jump to Kinloud because we have a lot of people come to us with um, issues around career direction and career decisions. Like, had you been thinking of starting your own agency for a while? Was there anything in particular that caused you to pull that trigger and, and get started? What, how did that eventuate?
0: Yeah, well, it, it happened a little bit earlier. Um, and so I I'd, fin- I'd got to a stage with government where I was ready to to find my next P or really revisit where I was in my career uh, and what I wanted to do and where I was headed. Uh, and so I basically took six months off. I surfed and I read, that's it. I just, that's all I did. I got up every day, I went for a surf and I read books. I went for another surf, I read some more books. And if there wasn't too much of a Norwich wind blowing, I'd have another surf in the afternoon. Um, and, and I just reflected.
1: <laughs> I feel like that's kind of like Ruben's dream, but just add in riding instead of surfing. <laughs> yeah. and that, that is, that is Ruben's. Pretty much. <laughs>
0: you'll, Rube, you'll eventually be able to scratch the itch, let me tell you, if you put yourself in that place. Um, well, and, funny, and that's what I did.
2: Funny you mentioned that. I'm currently in Ez next to Nice. And uh, we're in this yeah. random Airbnb and uh, the host of the Airbnb has very kindly given me his road bike for the week. So there'll be a fair bit of that go. going on for the next Huge. five days. There, there we go.
0: Go go find some self-reflection spots. Yeah, uh, that's it. And so that's what I did. <laughs> uh, and I, I found uh, yeah, I found a, a couple of different things and one of those key things was icky guy. And you know, I started to challenge you know, where I was and where I wanted to go and through that lens, which is all about bringing what you're passionate about together with what your mission is, um, with what your profession is and what your vocation is. So essentially what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for and what the world needs. And so I pushed through that. Um, and so I encourage anyone listening that is is at a place where they're trying to work out what's right for them. Um I strongly encourage you to check out Icky Guy. It's it's an amazing uh way of thinking. Uh and so I did that. And for me, what I love, and, and I'd left it for a while, what I love is sport. I love sport. I love the power of sport. I love what sport can do. I love sport for the athlete, I love sport for um, fans, I love sport for development and how it can change cultures and create healthier people. I love the power of sport and and I really kind of rekindled my relationship with that. I looked at what I was good at and what I was good at was essentially research, so understanding people, understanding how they behave, what they need, what barriers they have. I'm really that—that that is a, a core skill set I have, and I'm, I'm a, a, a really at that time, and I hope I continue to be this way. But a strong, strategic, creative thinker, uh, and so I was able to say, okay, well, I'm I'm really good at understanding people, and I'm also working out good at working out how to win. Um, and whenever you're trying to tackle a problem or tackle, find a solution or whatever, you're trying to win. You, you, and so tapping back to my athlete mindset. I was like, okay, I'm I'm good at trying to unlock what that looks like. What can I be paid for? Well, at that time, I was like, well, I can be paid to be a researcher. I can also be paid to be a strategist. Can I do that in sport? Yes, I can. Um, What I didn't understand was what's a consulting business and how does that run? I have no idea. Um, And so I had to work out how that needed to be applied and what I needed to understand there to be able to run KinLab as a founder. Uh, and then what does the world need? And I truly believe that sport needs to be better. It's not as good as it can be for, um, for people who play it, it's uh, or experience it, it's not as good as what it can be for athletes. Uh, you know, athletes are challenged in lots of different ways, um, as athletes uh and it's also from the point of view of um fandom uh you know sport continue can can continue to be made better for fans and so i believe the world or the world needed sport to be better because sport results in health out better health outcomes from a point of view of movement and moving your body but also from social connectivity social connection which is helps tackle isolation isolation is the new you know, cancer, it's a, it's a pandemic and people are more isolated, even more so off the off um, COVID pandemic. And so what sport does through both playing and being a fan, it actually helps with social connection, which tackles isolation. And so the more that I pulled on this, I, the more I found my icky guy and where I wanted to be and what I what my mission and purpose was. And so then I pivoted away from what I was doing. I took everything that I'd learned along the way, put it in my toolkit and said, okay, sport is now where I want to go and that's what I want to do and that's the ch- that's my purpose in life and what I want to be able to achieve. And, yeah, I've been doing that for, what, now seven to
2: eight years ever since. Brilliant. Uh, I love how like six months of introspection has led to eight months of mm. fulfillment at work, which I don't think many people would – take the time to stop and and reassess um but w- was there any um like you mentioned the learning the mechanics of running a consulting business was there any sort of doubt about whether you do this you know whether you find the icky guy working for somebody else or or doing it for yourself was there any anything that you're like oh starting a business is hard i better do it somewhere else or was it just like must run my own business
0: um no i i i I don't think I, it had to be my own business. The hardest part of doing what I do and what we do is, we, is selling. If you've ever tried to sell sell something, it is not easy. And hats off to every person that goes into sales and tries to sell things. Um, it, it, it's it's a really challenging aspect. And especially when you're trying to sell yourself as a person and, and your purpose and what you believe in the process, because I'm – you know in a sense kinlab sells a dream it sells an innovation it sells a solution that doesn't exist yet and so people need to look at you and believe that okay i'm going to invest this amount of money i believe in you and your team to be able to get the result and so it, it sales is, is is definitely something that i hadn't done in the past um working in government and working in social impact and so it wasn't something that um, I necessarily felt really comfortable in to start with. And so that was the thing that kind of spun me between, should I go and work for someone else or should I try and do this myself? And I got to a point where I said, okay, I'm going to give it a crack. I put some money in a bank account. I gave myself three months and said, i got three months and my wife gave me three months and said, if you can make it work in three months, you look what the next three months looks like. And the next three months looks like and the next three months. and. That's kind of how it built from wow. there and that, that's, yeah. And I did it at a crazy time. I like anyone that asks me when they say, oh, when did you do it? And it's like, no, I just laid down a massive amount on a, this, new, this, this new house. My new baby was yeah three months old. Like it was literally madness, but what it, it, what it forced me to do was get up every day and hustle my ass off. There was no, I couldn't fail. And as an entrepreneur that you have to have that mentality, you have to have that resilience, you have to have that drive. If you don't have that, go and work for somebody. And that was a difference maker for me. I could get up every day and know that I had the hus- that, the hustle in me to, to 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 fulfill my purpose in this way. Might I ever turn back and go back and be employed again? I, I don't know, but will it help me fulfill my purpose? Absolutely because I can make sport better in working for someone as much as I can here. Um, but over here, I, I, I get a drive and a kick that that um, it would be very rare working for someone. And some of the organisations I've had the absolute pleasure of working with, um, and my you know, my resume is, is pretty cool these days and I'm pretty proud of it. Um, if I'd gone and worked for someone, I probably wouldn't have the organisations I've been fortunate to work with.
1: The the, the, the guy concept. Did you find that through like a book, or is that like you can just go and read it up, or like what yeah. does that look like for someone who's who's looking for what you were looking for?
0: Yeah, just jump it into drop it into your Google search. It's right there. It's championed by the Japanese government now. Um, so all the information you need on on Ikigai is, is at your fingertips. So just drop it into your into your Google search engine and. Um, um, or your search engine of choice, I shouldn't be brand orientated, uh, <laughs> and, and go and search it out. Um, in that early stage, um, it was because I had done a lot of um, work and research in, in health promotion and methodologies and new ideas in that health promotion space. And, uh, you yeah, know, there was some, some uh, academic research that was coming out of Asia around this premise or this concept of Ikigai. And that's what led me in that down in that direction. And then once I'd opened it up, there was there was information that I could really get my hands on. Now, just put Ikigai in um, into your search engine and you'll find it pretty mm. easily. And it's wonderful, it's simple, it's pure, and it's wonderful to just self-reflect. And, and for, for young people um, that are in, in university now or in their early stages of the career, it's a wonderful stress test. Um, of what you're doing and where you want to go, and taps you back into your heart, which is, yeah. If if you're not doing what your heart pushes you to do, you're never going to be as successful as what you possibly can be. If it's all driven here, um, everything that's driven here has a shorter shelf life. If it's driven here, it'll you'll lock in and you'll hold firm. And when you put the two of them together, nothing will stop you.
2: Mm. And, and I, I love your um your business. Story as well, the way they got started. Because I think one way to be successful is put yourself in a situation where you don't have a choice of failure. <laughs> you have to make this work. <laughs> I think will Absolutely. drive you to do incredible things you never thought possible.
0: <laughs> and 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 again, that for me that and this is why when I I mentor athletes, um, I'm very very fortunate to talk to athletes and 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 talk to them about you know their next steps and things like that. And and it's one of the benefits of. Of, that I talk to the athletes about, but it's not just athletes. But they've got this um, level of resilience within them um, that is phenomenal, um, because they'll get up and train. They get up and lose in competition on a regular basis, but keep on going, and they just have this innate skill and this innate resilience within them that is so transferable to being an entrepreneur. Um, and so it's 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 helping athletes see that that entrepreneurial spirit lives in within them and they can tap into a level of resilience that's that's phenomenal that many many people can't but that doesn't mean that you know you have to be an athlete to be a great entrepreneur um you know, many people who have overcome adversity for long periods of time and so there's this connection correlation between you know highly successful athletes who have overcome lots of adversity throughout their young years and they've built a level of resilience that's helped them as an athlete. And so, for entrepreneurs that have that have lived and, and tackled lots of different challenges throughout their early lives, have also built up this amazing bank of resilience. And so, if you've you've made a habit of overcoming adversity, you're gonna get you you're, you're gonna be more than likely be really good at being an entrepreneur, um, because it's a it's a get up, drag down, get in the mud, punch it out life that that um, you need to have that. And if you're not up for that, then the best place is to go and work for a wonderful organization um, where, you know, it doesn't matter that uh, things like cash flow and whatnot don't matter to you. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah
1: we know the pressures of that yeah. as well <laughs> cash just does not matter don't worry about it no it doesn't matter, matter. No, go away for the yeah,
0: yeah. No, no no, Oh runways don't talk me about runways yeah, that's the dirty word yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we could have another podcast about that yeah. i think,
2: I think so. Um I on, think on so. that theme of um uh Higa, you guys have done some incredible work with Cricket Australia, Formula One, Nike, but um, all of those start with having a problem to solve. And um, now that you've got this like guy framework in your, your toolkit of a consultant, I want you to imagine if uh, someone comes to you in their early 20s, say one of your kids is now grown up and they approach you and say, hey, dad, I'm having a problem with my career. I don't know what I want to do, but I want to love my job. If you were to apply, say, the guy and, and anything else that you've got in your framework as well, what would you suggest them as a great way to, to get started? Um, okay. Um, so my 16 year old son, he's, he's pretty much
0: there. Um, so I'm actually, there's a bit of a live example that I'm working through at the moment with him. But, um, (laughs) but the, the, the trick is, is that, as I mentioned to you before, it's about what do you love and asking yourself, you know, questions about what you love and what's really interesting to you. What are you good at? What can you be paid for? And what does the world need? Frame that up for yourself as an individual. Okay, then take that in. So that's self-reflection and um, and take, take that and really uncover what that means for you. Talk to the people that you need to, um, your significant other, mentors, friends, whoever it may be, and talk to them about to help you crystallize um, what that is. Once you've got a handle on that, um, then let's have a look at kind of a human-centered design process to it, right? Um, and so from there, kind of have a real center around what that looks like then you just kind of go into exploration mode. So explore. So what we call is this double diamond kind of process or framework where you kind of explore, then you define, then you kind of design, and then you you, you deliver. And so kind of four key stages where you diverge, converge, come through, then diverge again, and then converge again. And that's where the double diamonds come together. But first of all, explore. So, you know, review this the kind of, if it's sport, review the system you know, understand what high performance looks like and and kind of what's happening in that that area of the system. Participation, community sport, explore that if that's your interest area or where you want to go. If it's more on the fan side and and sports entertainment, dive into the fan world and understand what sports entertainment looks like in that area of the system. And then also where there's interconnections. You know, one key thing is if you play the sport, you're more likely to be a fan of it. That's simple. Like, right? so there's all there's not three, there's not, they're not separate, because they're all interlinked. And then you've got if it's in the athlete world, that they're the ones on the playing field, right. And so they're all interlinked, but find the part in the system that 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 is where you want to be, which is aligned to your icky guy. That comes through desktop research. Um, that comes through kind of volunteering you know, do some volunteering, go and volunteer for a major event, go and volunteer for your local community club, just but little, you know, stints that make sense for what you're trying to achieve and just unpack it and feel it and understand it a little bit more. This is where short-term internships can also be really helpful. Um, and so, and and do some things there where you get to explore the space that you're interested in. Once you kind of feel like, this is this is kind of feeling like what I want to do, then you kind of really define, you go in and deeply understand. So this is where you do things like just, you know, go into the field with your researcher hat on, understand the sport, understand the business, understand the people that that business serves uh, and really interview, interact, observe, do all of those things that help you deeply understand the space but also the opportunities because that's going to pay you downstream and i'll talk you through that in a moment um, but gather together all of that data so that you can kind of go okay i want to work in high performance i'm really interested in swimming okay so i've now reviewed the system i understand that swimming i'm a former swimmer or i have a relationship with swimming or whatever it may be i've I've gone and volunteered for a local swimming club or I've offered to do an internship for Swimming Australia or, you know, the AIS or whoever it may be. Okay. I'm really comfortable in this space. Okay. Out of my university degree, I might have a tech background or a data and analytics background, or I might have done some AI or machine learning. Okay, I'm carrying that through with me. And I'm then going, okay, well, I'm now going into the field. I'm spending more time at swimming competitions around swimming athletes. I might even, you know, be asking the local swimming club if I can come down and just be on the pool deck with the coach for a week and watch them, you know, train high-performance athletes, talk to them, observe, you know, that's talk to multiple different high performance coaches, for example, just using as an example, pull all that data down and then synth it, analyze it, work through it. You'll come out with opportunities. There's opportunities here to say, like I said, with the swimming example, there's opportunities here where AI and machine learning can dial up what happens when it comes to analyzing athlete data and, and building out competition strategies or whatever it may be, or helping athletes yeah, swimmers um, perform better on a, on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis. So I don't know you and go, okay, I'm really comfortable. I want to be a starter analyst in high-performance swimming. That's what I want to do. Right. I now need to wait for the opportunities, the formal opportunities to come, or I need to push a little bit to get those formal opportunities to surface. Build out your resume. So this is when you move into design. And so build out your resume, So create the tools that are gonna help you get the job, build out your resume, you know, build out your portfolio. Um, Along the journey that I just mentioned, take photos, grab videos, videos of your interviews, videos of you on pool deck, like gather all of that together. Cause then what you, you should be able to do is put together a nice little package or piece that reflects your journey to date and why you passionately wanna work in this space. If you're presenting that as part of a pitch for a job, you have stepped well above everybody else. And so do that, like this is, and and make it about you, but make it about you as you're going along. So build that out and then create your pitch, right? So then you've got your pitch, you've got your resume, you've got your tools, you've you've got your pitch together to go and basically pitch for the job or get the job. Test that with people who are meaningful for you. So this is the prototype testing piece, pitch, to your partner, pitch to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mum, but then also go and if you've got a mentor or someone that's in your cohort, that's working in sport, even better, if it's working in swimming or working in high performance sport, go and talk to them about your pitch and test it with them and see what they think. And then if they add some more things in, iterate and change it, and then essentially prepare yourself and go and get that job. So that to me, if you went, okay, icky guy, I wanna work in sport, My mission is, is to help athletes. I'm really good at data analysis and technology. I can absolutely get paid for that. Boom, right. Review the system, know your spot, unpack it, work out what role you want. Go do more research, capture data and content as you go. Then essentially pivot that, create the tools that are going to help you get the job, test them with people who are important to you, and then go get the job.
2: That was an incredibly well. Summarized start to end package of, of what to do. And I think for anybody who presented that to an employer, employer would be blown away by that because at the moment, most people come out of university with a degree and maybe the one prescribed internship that everybody else has to do. And there might be 500 people in your cohort. So if you do one level thing above that, let alone go 10 levels above that and create this, you know, full timeline, for example, you could start your own, uh, data analytics and swimming social media account and just post on there every couple of weeks. And then by the end of it, it's just like, hey, yeah. here's a link to my Instagram or TikTok account. Mm. And they flick through that and say, yeah, okay, I'm sold and you're in. <laughs> um, that, uh, and, and if it's about, mm. and this is the
0: trick for, for young people, like once you nail what your, your icky guy is, then that's the job you want and it's about getting to that and you'll know you'll feel really calm and you'll do whatever it takes and there are only five of those jobs that are available in the country or whatever it may be and and so you've got to do what's required to win one of those five jobs because you're probably competing against 200 other people and it also stops you from going into jobs that you don't really want um that you end up just putting in a resume or a cover letter and you just join the bus stop of other people. And but if, mm. if you're able to position yourself into a place where I am so passionate about this, this is my mission and I'm telling you a story and a journey and what I want to do, every employer, and I know I would, if someone tabled that with me and be like, okay, let's do this um, mm. straight away without even considering, you know, I wouldn't need to consider much more other than cultural fit um, but if you're mm. showing me this journey and that you're passionate, then it's about going, okay, well, how can I now create an environment where you're going to succeed? And that's, to me is when you've nailed this process, the leader sitting across from the table is going, I absolutely want you. And it's the challenge is on me creating an environment where you'll succeed.
2: Yeah. 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 I reckon, um, the, one of my mates from my cricket club, his name's Scott Walton. And he now works with Dylan Buckley at Producey and um, has done a whole bunch of social media jobs at, at the AFL and in tennis and on the footy show back in the day, Front Bar more recently. And uh, I reckon he put together a Twitter resume at one point in time. This is just like jogged my memory right now. Mm. And he was like, just created this thread of his career and was adding in GIFs and he would add links to some of you know his best tweets from the AFL Twitter account and it was it was really quite cool. And he Scott's not someone who um by his own admission did terribly well in, in high school, but since then he's just put his you know head to the ground and worked extremely hard and been incredibly creative as well. And now he's literally like a weekly featuring weekly on on Dylan Friends show, which gets massive reach. So um yeah, he's one who I think is almost ahead of his time in a way with what you're suggesting.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh and people have been doing similar things like this for a while now exactly that and they're the ones that end up winning and the more that we have doing these sorts of things the more and the way that i see it is that the more people will be in the roles that they should be in and then the sports system will be better for it so the more that we can encourage you know graduates and young people to really find you know find their purpose and find what they want to do next and then Go through a process to get themselves in the right roles with the right leaders. The sports system will improve. So this is just one way of doing that, and which is why I love what you guys are doing. You're, you're, you're advancing the sports system by doing what you do day in and day out, and 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 that's why I've been so supportive from the outset, um, mm. Ruben. Uh, and and we've been talking, you know, offline mm. about about it over the past couple of years, and um, I think it's wonderful what you're doing, and you're you're making sport better by doing what you do, and I love that.
2: Thank you, thank you. There's a, and you're right though. Like it, once you get into a, a job that you don't like but pays you, it's it's hard to get out. Mm. I think uh, Nasim Taleb once said the two most addictive things in life are heroin and a monthly salary. Sorry. <laughs> you don't want to get stuck in a job that (laughs) pays you well enough that you just stick in, but grinds you to the ground. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Because what we end up doing is we
0: build a life around that salary or that wage, right? And so I have a certain car and I have a certain Mm. house and I, I go to certain restaurants and I, and so what ends up happening is, is that salary is then builds the basis for the life that we then create around ourselves and our persona and who we are. And so, trying to shift and change that is incredibly tough. Um, and so Mm. absolutely, uh, the, the addictive part is I become addicted to aspects of my life and who I am. And I've then created this persona around myself that is all linked to how much I get paid every fortnight or month. Uh, and that's incredibly hard to shift when you want to make that Mm. shift. And it takes a pretty transformational change
1: to do it. Mm. I've never thought about it like that. It's, uh, it's quite interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I think about self right now. Like my life is kind of dependent on what I earn each month, and my behaviour is dependent on what I earn each month. Like it's kind of—I've never thought about it like that, Adrian. So you've—you've you've
2: opened my eyes today, multiple times. Right? It—it uh, it, uh, <laughs> it dictates the golf clubs you play at. Hundred percent. It's, It's—it's why I've yep. got a second-hand
1: golf bag. <laughs> I, I should yes. have some perfect tightless shiny clubs, but unfortunately uh, I'm not quite there yet, but you're exactly right Rubs. probably dictates the you know the beers you buy or yeah. what golf you what golf course you play at uh, but yeah, it's interesting yeah because you' you're building that. Mm
0: persona of yourself and then brands are associated with that persona and then you're you're cultivating and curating something i'm using exactly that Mm -hmm. as a founder of crest surf clubs and and you know essentially building and creating the first you know the world's first private member surf club in new york is you know high net worth people just want to be around high net worth people whether that be in the club or in in the, the lineup in surfing or in that environment, especially in, in the United States. And uh, yeah, there's they've they've created a, a level of persona and a level of perception and what they can buy and what they do and how they live their life. And yeah, it allows us to create a, an experience that is tailored specifically to them because this is exactly what they've done by being millionaires and billionaires. Mm.
2: I've seen a lot of your content around that online. What, what When's like um, that due to come to fruition? When's the first surf going to happen?
0: Um, so we're building at the moment. Uh, and so we've done a ton of work to get to this point. It's about six years. Uh, you know, I've got wonderful business partners in New York, uh, the Pateras, uh, who um, you know, have uh, their Long Islanders, they're ironed on they're the local community guys and, and, and they brought, they brought me on on board about, or oh, what now, two and a half years ago. So it's been a bit of a journey and it's been a wonderful journey. We did we we're using a purely a human centered approach. So the customers at the center, so the members at the center of every decision that gets made. Uh, and so we're currently uh, under construction uh, and first waves first waves should run early next year um, prototype. So testing testing stage, uh, and summer uh, summer next year in the US will be when the doors open.
2: Wow, amazing! That'd be very cool. Yeah. Are you um? Do you mind if I ask? Are you an equity partner in this? Yes. Nice. And did you have yeah. to um contribute in, or was it like an advisory stake? Um, so a mix of both.
0: So I contributed in and an advisory stake. And so um, for this one, so. We've been working in and I've been working in wave venues for a very long time. Uh, fortunate enough to design the, the guest experience at Kelly Slater Surf Ranch in in Lemoore, uh, and so went through wow. the process of deep, deeply understanding the consumer of that particular property uh, and designing out the experience that people are enjoying right now for a hundred thousand dollars a day US that is. Uh, wow! And it's booked out it's booked out eighteen <laughs> months in advance. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, and what? so, yeah, it's, yeah, so, um, and so that, that, that was about well, four years now, ago now. And so, uh, design, researching, analyzing, and, and designing a bunch of wave venue experiences since then, uh, put, put me in a place where my team, uh, when we looked at this particular opportunity, they, and we we've, you know, we've been fortunate enough to look at lots and lots of them, the big bright, shiny, they said, you absolutely have to get involved in this one. This one makes incredible sense. I did what I needed to do to get to, to get across it and understand it. Um, met with the Pateras and had a lot of different conversations and the opportunity was there. Um, it was previously going, it was Long Island Surf Park. It was a private, you know, public kind of model on in Long Island that we then transformed the entire business model, brand, experience, based on the research that we'd done into crest surf clubs, which we then identified that the model was scalable around the world. So, you know, there were multiple markets that could absorb this. So we turned it into a globally scalable model. Um, and so, yeah, I, I invested down and, and obviously added in some advisory stuff on top of that and, uh, and yeah, it's... I'm, getting to build a surf club which just blows my mind that I'm um, now <laughs> that they're uh, uh, getting able to do that growing up in surf life-saving clubs all up and down the coastlines and and now I'm building a private member surf club in New York is uh, is is quite a is quite a, an amazing thing that I blow, blows my
2: mind on a regular basis well it's it kind real. of points back to the the um, you know, the six months you took off for introspection of, this is what I want to do. And when you find the thing you want to do, you get incredible opportunities that come off the back of that, which yeah. is like when you might think, oh, you, am I just doing this to kind of get a new job that will help me for the next three or four years? It's like, no, you've got no idea what is going to open up for the rest of your life if you kind of go down this path. And this is a really cool example.
0: Yeah, absolutely. People, people can feel it when you're passionate. They can feel that like it's in your gut. And you you want it like it, it and I'm hoping some of what I and how I am, you can see that with me it, it, if you're not into it, the person across the table can sense it. they know that you're ticking a box or you're not really that into it um, and so when when you tap into this and and you really start to kind of scale it, uh, you get opportunities that you never would have expected, and that's definitely what's happened for me and um, yeah if you if you'd asked me ten years ago, that it, you know and told me in by 44 you're going to have worked with the brands i've worked with you're going to be building a wave uh, you know wave venue a surf club in new york and and looking for more and i would have just said you're crazy you're crazy uh, yeah. <laughs> but that that those months of introspection just gave me a place where i could find exactly what i wanted and how i was going to go about doing it and um, and now, yeah, it's magnetic and, and when you, when people can feel it and you make them believe amazing things happen. And so the more that, yeah, the people that are listening to this and, and watching this realize that, you know, it's not a necessary just about what your academics say or, 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 you know, what experience you have. If you can sit across the table from someone and they can feel your passion and feel, and a fire in you that is going to only get brighter when you're in the right environment and in the right circumstance, then yeah, that's when you'll get life-changing experiences.
1: Mm. You mentioned there like essentially storytelling and, you know, allowing them to believe in your, in your passion. That's also sort of, you know, an area that you specialize in at Kinlab. Um, and sticking with that theme, um, can understand, you know, for that lost, you know, grad or young adult looking for career direction, um, once you sort of help them understand what they want to do um, and what career options would, would obviously help them and whatnot, what would you do to sort of help them with that storytelling element? How can they be better uh, in an interview, for example? Like, how can I tell my story the best it possibly can be? Yeah,
0: well... Um... And for me, it, it depends. So as we've all experienced, different interviews are structured different ways depending on who you're interviewing with. Or or, or you know, government is very different to sporting organisation, which is very different to a startup, which is. And so for me, it's about understanding the field of play. So knowing, am I going in there? Am I answering five straight up questions where I have to nail? Those five questions with what I can deliver, or is this going to be much more of an informal conversation where I need to kind of make this happen for myself? Um, and so it's understanding the field of play. So treating it a lot like a game, right? And gamify it. Okay, the field of play is, looks like this. The rules look like this. Here's the rules that I can't break. Here's the rules rules that I can. And there's always shades of grey, even in government, you know, recruitment. There's always shades of grey and it's up to you to find them. And so, you know, understand that and understand where you can push and pull and do different things that are going to make you stand out. So get that and then work out and design what those things are. Um, And if it's the opportunity to tell a story about, and I I use that example when I walked you through how I would apply this from a human-centered design perspective, you know, capture content throughout that journey, why it's important to you, why it puts a fire in your belly, why you believe that you can make a difference or you can create change, why you're a great team member, why you're good for this culture and it's a nice cultural fit and your values fit, etc., and then show some examples of, of of how you've done it or what you're doing um, and that allow you then to show your, you know, essentially what you can be paid for, what you're good at. Show some of that and tell stories around that and make them real. Like what I see in a lot of interviews and a lot of conversations is big words, lack of depth. You know, the more that you can, I think, tell a really human-centered story, like a human story that's about you and about others, that helps people attach themselves to that. The more that you just use framework X and process Y and, you know, the person across the table isn't an AI bot, they're a human being, make them feel something. You make them feel something, they won't forget you. And so that's that's tapping into their emotion. And so... Yeah, from a storytelling perspective, and this is what Kinlab's really focused on, um, is true insight-led storytelling and content development, not, you know, necessarily more shallowed where appropriate amounts of research or insight hasn't been gathered to get that really powerful nugget that drives an amazing story. Uh, And so for us, I've seen a lot, a lot of content um, over my, my time and I believe how sport can be made better is that the content that is shared outside of the field of play or the lines can be much more human-centred and tell a much more powerful story about fans or participants. Or, and so the more that we do that, the more that people that are, are interested or have linkages to that sport, they're going to gravitate around it like a tribe and not see it as popcorn. And so the more that 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 happens, um, we'll tell better stories and more people will be, you know, attached to sport and and be passionate about it together.
2: Mm. I love that. One of our uh, favourite quotes from um, Hamish McLaughlin when we had him on back in 2021 was, if you can connect with the interviewer, the hand goes up when he's got to look at two resumes who are exactly the same. So you're right, and it's an absolute competitive advantage.
0: Yeah, put put something in there. Their gut, like, put it there. Yeah, and just leave it here. Put it here, but mm. also put it there. Make them feel something. You do that, they're yep. not going to forget mm. you. You might not get this one, but when you pick up the phone or you send a LinkedIn me- message or whatever, they're going to remember you, and then that is meaningful. So it doesn't matter if you don't just get the job the first time around. If you make them feel something, that puts that puts equity for you with them, and then you can always circle back on that. And so that was a piece of advice that I got very early in my time when, when I was racing, is spend yeah. up until 35, building a network. And then after 35, work out how to monetize it or, or, or use it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And, and and so every time yeah. you get a chance to interact with someone meaningful or someone important, or and that importance doesn't necessarily mean high up in a senior executive level. It, it, It just means that they're important with what you're focused on. Take the time, invest, make them feel something, build a connection, and then continue to go back
2: to that and foster it. Mm. One more example on that. Uh, Kimberly Furness, current general manager of HR at Netball Australia, used to work at Cricket Australia. One of the cover letters that landed on her desk when she was interviewing people started with the headline, I'm going to tell you why I deserve to wear the baggy green and then the rest of it flowed on to be this marvelous story about who they were. And I think they ended up getting the job from that. Um, I wanted to ask you about how you have applied design to your week, because I remember when we connected, um, probably a year ago now you said to me, I like to leave Fridays open to have new and interesting conversations. And this seemed very deliberate. So I was wondering how else do you design your week? Um, well,
0: I now have a reasonable understanding of when I can perform my best and so you know one of the things that I do um, is sculpt my day when I know my brains at its best and when it's not at its firing at its best so all of the the, the more challenging work for me happens in the morning that that uh, again I think being a former swimmer and getting up at 4 a.m every day, it, I'm a morning person and that's when I'm firing. And that's when I'm, I find that my moraine is working its best. So I, I say the hard stuff happens in the morning for me. Um, and then the emails and the more transactional things happen in the afternoon. So I curate my day in a way that helps me use my best self at whatever that, that time is. Um, I find moments of kind of introspection throughout my day. Um, that might be an, an hour's surf in the morning it might be 15 minutes sitting in the backside, in the back um, back garden with the sun on my um, on my back, uh, and just reflecting and and you know concentrating on my breathing or just investing in myself. Uh, and so making sure that I'm trying to do that regularly, I get clarity from that. Uh, and so I'll curate that. Uh, you know, I've got three kids and man, they're great at. You can have all the best laid plans, but like Mike Tyson, they know how to punch them in the face. Um, kids are really good at that um and so just trying to (laughs) to have have a plan that you're also flexible and know that things are going to change because they often and very well mostly do and so you're flexible enough to be able to to kind of ride with whatever happens on a day-to-day basis so for me it's it's finding time that's about me and and also finding that self-reflection time it's sculpting my day in a way that i can find the best in myself whenever that is in that during that day and then being flexible and resilient enough to know that stuff's going to go pear-shaped and that's okay.
2: For how many years have you been consistent with that curation day by day?
0: Oh, again, it kicked off for me when I took that time off for six months. Uh, I worked like a crazy person, crazy person for years, Um, whether that was racing and uni and work then it was uni and work, and then it was just work, and I just threw myself because I'm, I'm that's my personality. I'm, it's all or nothing, and that's also something that I need to manage personally as well, uh, is managing that. And so, you know, I got to a point where I was like, okay, um, I need to work out how, you know, just like my coaches used to, uh, how I can curate the way that I live my my days in a way that's always going to be getting the best out of me because if I'm going to go down this path you know people people pay me and pay my comp you know kin lab really good money to solve things that they don't nece- can't necessarily solve for themselves so there's a lot a lot of pressure um, and so uh, because I can't I can't burn through eighty thousand dollars and then go yeah sorry I kind of missed it on this one um you know you, you, it's a, there's a lot there's a lot of pressure that comes with it and and so you know and I I, I made a decision that, that that was the path that I was going to go down so I needed to work out how I could best manage it do I do that every day do I make the right decisions every day do I look after myself the way I should every day for that period of time no have I you know I've got it you know, I'm first today and I we work with Movember um closely and you know i'm a massive and obviously i was head of innovation at beyond blue mental health is is a significant um you know aspect to my life i've got a psychologist that i work with on a month-to-month basis that helps keep me mind fit um and i treat them just like i would a personal trainer but for my mind and so you know i i've gone through you know amazing days, I've also gone through incredibly tough days. And sometimes I don't necessarily manage those things the way that I should. And, and then that impacts on family and co teammates and and whatever it may be. But, you know, it's just a a constant commitment to try and be your best self every day, and you're not always going to get it right, but you've got people around you that can help kind of set you straight and go, yeah, you didn't get it right, you know, whack, whack, or come get a cuddle, I know what you need. Um, but tomorrow's a new day. How are you going to kind of right the ship again? Uh, and so, mm. yeah, I have got lots of different people that that do that for me. And I've got to, you know, w- you know, for young people and in the position like you guys are in and, and who's, who's listening, yeah, you know, have that young person that you've grown up with, that you're incredibly tight with, that's your best friend or someone you trust and who you respect and and really foster and, and respect that. You know, I've got a. I've got a really close friend of mine. Um, he won't mind me saying, um, Trent Knox, who who I grew up with. We we started racing when we were eight years old on in surf life events and lining up against, against each other. And, you know, we're, we're mates still and, and, and really close mates. And, you know, we, we share our wins and our losses. And he's someone that's been there, you know, throughout everything that's happened over my life and someone that I really trust and respect. So find that person and... And hold on to them and invest in that relationship because it'll pay you dividends throughout. And you know, Trent now is he's he's, he's he's got the the 440, which is that amazing running group in in Bondi um, that is spread around the country. And and Trent does amazing things. He transitioned his life from being a real, a real a highly successful real estate agent to now basically having a positive effect on everybody's lives through a a running community that that that. That is is based out of Bondi, and you know, yeah, Trent and I connect on all of those things and support each other and help each other. So, you know, my advice is is find find that per- your, your, outside of your your significant other, your partner, find that mate, and be that for them, and you know work with them throughout your life, um, because yeah, that they'll that'll pay dividends, and that's something that I use on a regular basis.
2: Wow, amazing. I love and that I, it's really encouraging. really encouraging to see that like you've been doing this for such a long consistent period of time because like Ryan and I have been on our own journey of trying to figure out what are the things day to day week to week that help us be at our best and we'll uh when we're consistent we'll check in <laughs> once a month to see how we're going and it's and it's been um I can probably I don't know what do you reckon Ryan like the first year and a half was like a lot of like that worked, but this didn't work. But then the last, particularly the last six months this year, has been a yeah. lot more routines. Like we've had that period of discovery. Now mm-hmm. we know that these are the set things. Just just do another day. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent.
1: Discovery is the fun part around like what you know what works for you and and what doesn't. You kind of go through this test and learning sort of phase. And yeah, I reckon you're dead right. It was like the first. Yeah, the first like eighteen months was almost like a bit of a grind to like work it all out, but I reckon now, now we've got to a good point where like, we know what we know what works for us both, and it kind of just smoothly, smoothly happens, which just mm. comes from time and and testing and learning and and seeing what works. So, yeah. what I'd, what would what I'd encourage with that though, and again apply it
0: human-centered design mindset to it is you you're on a journey and your circumstances your context your relationship all the things are going to change on a regular basis for the rest of your days and so how do you continue to check in with what working and not? because what was working two months ago may not be working today because you know, you've been fortunate enough to find a wonderful partner or you've had to move house or you've lost your job or something's happened because, yeah, our contexts and our circumstances shift. And that's something that we try and regularly help sports understand that the, the, the lifetime journey that a person has in their relationship with a sport can shift so significantly over that relate, that timeline. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the sport. It could be, you know, you just had a new baby and you're literally in the trenches for the next 12 months trying to get sleep when you can try and survive. Like sport is probably the last thing from your mind. And all of a sudden, okay, we've we've got people dropping off between 30 and 35. Well, that's generally when lots of people are having kids and men during that time are, are heavily likely to also drop off, not just females. And so you have a job to do at that 35 to 40 year olds again, when they're coming out of their cocoon, they're looking to reconnect. How do you make that happen? And so, you know, sport, the more that sport can understand that, you know, these life cycles shift and change and what a, Products and services and experiences that you are embedding in throughout that journey that's going to help people maintain a connection over a long period of time. That sometimes might be really close and really intense, and then other times you might not have anything to do with them. But you've got the sow that's been said, you know, sowed. You got the seed that's been sowed. You're more likely to get them to, when they come back. You just got to work out how you onboard them again.
2: Mm. it's funny you mentioned that example because i reckon just a you know probably less than a month ago we had sam perry from the grade cricketer come on the show and we asked him that question at the top of the episode are you involved with grassroots sport at the moment he said no but i have every intention to be in the future it's just my stage of life at the moment is i've got two kids under five years old my wife is a doctor working 70 hours a week i've just you know if I come to her and say, "Hey, I'm going to hang out at the cricket club for six hours on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon," like that's not going to go down well, right? At this point in time, um, but um, it's like I love just hearing how well you describe that person and just hearing, "Hey, I know one of them just from from a month ago. They've been in our show, so yeah. um, it's cool yeah. to hear." Well, it's not hard to under- it's not hard to I guess uh, understand how you guys are able to d- design such good solutions when you guys know the person so well.
0: Yeah, and, and one of the big ones right now for us is teen girls. Uh, it's a massive problem to solve. Uh, you have 33% drop off of yep. of, of girls in t- at 15 out of sport and then another 33 before they turn 18%. And so, yeah, it's a massive problem, but it's also a massive opportunity for sports um, because those teen girls aren't coming back. Uh, they go off into to different pursuits. They go off to the gym. They go off to, you know, essentially as as it says, I used to be sporty, but I'm not anymore. And so, you know, it's it's these ones where it's not that are necessarily always going to come back. The big drop-off ones are the big opportunities where innovation can really start to to take hold that sport as a sector, as a system in Australia and the UK and the United States is that there is a massive opportunity with teen girls, but you're really going to have to innovate to solve that problem um, or, you know, take advantage of that opportunity. And so, yeah, we're really fortunate and I'm really fortunate. I've now spent a hundred, tried to work it out around, you know, well over a hundred thousand hours with people in the field, understanding their relationship with sport um, in multiple different countries, I have a crazy brain that can pull on lots of different things at any given moment. Um, that's how my brain works. And so, yeah, I, I feel very fortunate to be in a position where I, I, I have a very deep understanding of of even why you play sport or your relationship with it, Ruben, or your buddies, <laughs> or same with you, Ryan. Like, um, why have I just gone back more... to
1: footy? Yep,
0: yeah. <laughs> At the age of
1: 28 after two years there of you. playing.
0: So watch those knees, buddy, all right? Um, that's probably your, yes. one of your biggest concerns.
1: It's more the hamstrings, Adrian. They, they go, go sort of every sort of 8 to 10 weeks at this rate. So yep. that's my main so worry the at the moment.
0: Guys your age, one of the best things that they can do, the ones that are able to, to keep going, keep moving, they get into yoga. And so because of the yeah, wow. and so... Um, if you can put that into your toolkit, you'll lengthen your, your relationship, your playing time and your relationship on the playing field, which I'm sure you'll want. So what, what we see out in the field and in the market is that the guys that get above that kind of in that 28 to 32 range, if they can get out of their own way and add yoga to their toolkit week to week, their relationship on the playing field lasts a lot longer.
1: All right. Googling yoga, design. Williamstown.
2: Oh, where are we at? <laughs> <there? Yeah. laughs> That's awesome, um, Adrian. We have just got one more topic we want to cover before we tie a bow on this. I know we've taken up a lot of your time, so I really appreciate you that hanging around. Having a conversation. Um, but we we uh, we usually talk about how people get hired into their their first job in sport, but you've just hired a brand new CEO in Arthur Gillen, who was the former. General Manager of Marketing and Experience at the Australian Grand Prix Corporation. Can you just explain the, the process you went through into recruiting Arthur? What, what did that look like? Um, and so when I
0: was a couple of years, well, it was probably 18 months ago, uh, it really started to surface that I, I was at a point with Kinlab where I really wanted someone to come in and take the CEO role from off me, um, that I just wanted to focus on solving the challenges and the problems and and that was where I wanted my relationship or my role within Kinlab to, to to kind of continue on. Uh, and so uh, when I started to talk to people that that was what I wanted to do, I got a really straight question from a mentor. If you had your pick of who you'd want across the Australian sports system, who would you want? Um, and I straight up said Arthur Gillian. Yeah, Arthur is... I met Arthur in an interview years ago now, and one of my first sports projects, um, which was to do some innovation in the A-League, and I interviewed Arthur as a kind of a a stakeholder interview um, when he was at Melbourne Victory, he was head of marketing there, and uh, that's the first time I'd met Arthur, and we kind of talked over and over, and then I watched his career flourish, and, and watched his skill, and not only his skill, but Arthur is just a fantastic people leader. You know, anyone that you'd say Arthur Gillian to anyone who, who knows Arthur, they can't stop applauding and loving on the guy. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it became, it was like, okay, if I had my choice, it would be him. Um, did I think that was going to happen? Not necessarily. Did I have a significant intent of going out and headhunting him down? No. Um, he, I just knew he was the archetype of what I wanted. I wanted someone who who was incredibly smart, a strong people person, a great leader, um, you know, a disruptor who challenged the status quo. I knew what the archetype was and he was the closest that I could see in the market um, that, that could create change but also had experience internationally um, having his background in the UK and, and obviously a relationship with Formula One and, um, and MotoGP and having dealt with international brands, which is important for us. Uh, and so, you know, we started working with with the GP guys, and Arthur was on the team. Um, and essentially, you know, he
1: yeah
0: he was doing what he was doing, and he one day we we kind of started to get to talk about it, and I said, yeah, I'm in the market for a CEO, and and Arthur just said, oh. You know, that's interesting. We just left it there and and then he came back and, and he said, Adrian, can you let's talk a little bit more about that? And so we did and and bada bing bada boom, he's now working for us. He just needed to understand the process a little bit more as well and who we are and what our values were and making sure they aligned with him and and yeah, it ended up yeah, somehow and it wasn't necessarily, or it wasn't without any specific intent. I had an archetype. There's probably three or four archetypes that fit or people that fit that archetype in the country. Um, and yeah, he was definitely one of them. And I was lucky enough, yeah, that he was interested in joining us. And yeah, Kinlab's better for it. That's for sure. Amazing.
2: I love how like he was just a, a really good fit. Cause at the start, I thought you are going to say, oh, we, we knew the guy. We chased him really hard, but yeah. it just sounds like you guys were true to who you you want to be as a company. He's true to who he, he wants to be, and it was it just clicked. Just kind of happened,
0: uh, and that's what I love it. And that's also the way I go about what I do too. Um, I don't necessarily do formal recruitments. I don't you know make people submit resumes and do, let's just sit down and have a chat and, and tell me a little bit more about you and let's follow over the next month or two. Let's just you know, chat, keep talking, I'll follow what you're doing. Let's keep touching base. And it's, it's informal. And if it ends up working out and, and they're the right people, um, I'll feel it in my, my gut and, and off they go. And we've had some, some wonderful people work for us and who are now on doing amazing things with Accenture and, um, and Canva and, um, you know, in back in and the, the NRL and, and so, you know, Kinlab and all of Kinlab's success is thanks to them. And they've come through, they've touched us with their magic and they've had their time and they've moved on to amazing things. And, um, you know, they're the reason why Kinlab is is where it is and where it continues to be is because, yeah, wonderful people have, have come along and graced us and graced me with their skill and their presence and have made Kinlab better for it. Love it.
1: Uh, Adrian, it's been one of the great episodes. Um, Last question for you, um, and that is, what's the lasting impact that you want to have on the sports industry?
0: Um, Again, it just comes back to making sport better. Uh, I, I wanna see less athletes with mental health challenges off the back end of their careers and a better transition into the rest of their lives. I want to see more people playing sport and enjoying sport and, and connecting with each other. I want to see lower suicide, lower mental health challenges, lower obesity. I want to see that. I want to, I, I, I want to see a, a, this tackling loneliness. I, I yeah. you know, I want to see it from the perspective of, you know, by making sport better, we're having impacts on health and communities. That's what I'm in this for. And the more that, we can have that effect and that more people are playing more people are connecting more people are following and athletes are performing better on the playing field but are also not burning themselves to the ground in doing so then we've we've we've, we've played a role you know I, it's fair to say we've worked with 43 different sports now sports not necessarily just sports businesses it extends out from that um you know i'm very proud to say i Kinlabs, Somehow touched every Australian, whatever sport they play, or whether they officiate, whether they volunteer, whether they play, whatever it may be, something that we've done's touched every Australian, and then that's expended off into Europe and, and to the US as well. And so, you know, I'm very lucky, and I feel very fortunate that that's I've been able to achieve that over you know seven, six, seven years now. Um, now for me, it's less about just having that effect; it's now about right. Let's make some. Let's Let's change the system, like the system needs to change. It's not what it should be. We need to change it, we need to make it better. And when we do, there'll be less people suicides, there'll be lower mental health, there'll be lower obesity, there'll be less loneliness, and the world will be a better place because people will be healthier. Outstanding.
1: Before we wrap up, Rubes, any other episodes relating to this one that people can tune into? I don't, I don't know if there's anything that relates to I was saying the question and I
2: was like, it, it, there's not one. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most unique and standalone episode we've ever had. But I think for people who have enjoyed uh, what you've had to say, Adrian, and other curious type, I think they'll also enjoy listening to Jay Lee, who's a senior vice president of... Um, Product at the NBA, whose team is responsible for designing things like NBA.com, NBA app, NBA league pass, all that type of thing. And uh, we did a part one and part two with him. I reckon he's episode 83 and 85 a long way back in 2021. Nice. Um, yeah, another very great operator as well. So, another one to enjoy. Awesome.
1: Adrian, it is, uh, it's been special. I think I'll say episode 250. Um, and I I think ever since we started the podcast, you've always been someone who I think we've always aspired to get on here because we were both sort of touched by, you know, your experience. And we were both at CA. Um, and just being involved in various projects with Kinlab during that stage of our career just enabled us to really, I think to be honest, I probably just think big and think outside the square in terms of like, what what does sport look like for us? And what does a career in sport look like? And actually, when you get to go to work, you can be creative and think about sport, not just in the little bubble, like you mentioned before. So it's always been um, something that we've we've really wanted to do is to get you on the show. And um, it has not disappointed at all. It's been absolutely awesome Um, and not just, you know, some of the things you're saying around not just to work in sport but just life in general, I think there's lots of lessons people can take from what we've spoken about today. So really appreciate your time. I know you've almost given us two hours of your uh, of, of your day. So um, we really appreciate it and, um, yeah, hopefully we can catch up in person very soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. And if I could leave with one bit of advice is just keep asking why. Why? Why? Why is something the way it is? Why do people behave the way they do? Ask why and then allow that to pivot you off to be more curious and be more creative to solve problems. And so just keep asking why and if people can do that, great. And I'm always open for anyone to reach out to me. So um, if you wanna connect, just hit me up on LinkedIn, send me a message and um, I'll say g'day and we can connect that way. So uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the chat boys. Love what you're doing. Thinks it's outstanding and I think we're all on the same page that sport can be better, and you're helping build a workforce that um, can definitely do that. So, bravo and hats off to you.
1: Guys, it's time now for the people's segment, Ask Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. If you'd like to ask a question, first become a Sports Grad member at sportsgrad.com.au/slash community. And then add your question to the channel named Ask Sports Grad. Now, Rubes, this one comes from Sarah, and she says, "How do I get experience in grassroots sport? I don't know where to start."
2: Mm, great question. We uh, we harp on a lot harp on a lot about grassroots sport and the uh, the benefits of it not only are you going to get amazing experience but you'll meet a lot of amazing people and you also create common ground with people who work in the sports industry because everyone has come through grassroots or is involved in some way shape or form so Mm. it's a no-brainer to get involved but in terms of where do you start it's probably something that feels a lot more complicated in your mind than actually is because the beauty of grassroots sport is that it's all volunteer-led and um you really just have to be willing to put your hand up and say, hey, I can help in some way, shape or form. So if you're not already playing at a grassroots club, then you want to find one in your area that uh, ideally you enjoy. So if you like netball, go to a netball club. If you like cricket, go to a cricket club. And um, go down there and say, hey, I am looking to get into the sports industry in the future and I'm looking to build up my resume with some experience. I'd love to help out with your club in events or sponsorship or strength and conditioning. Whatever you can offer, go in with a really targeted approach and say, these are the areas that I'd love to get some experience in. Maybe it's social media. Um, If you can make your pitch even more compelling so that it's a no-brainer for them to say yes, then have a think about the specific impact you want to create. For example, if you want to help a grassroots club grow their social media accounts you might say hey i've jumped on your instagram feed and uh you got about 200 followers at the moment the last time you posted was uh 11 months ago i reckon i could grow your following up to a thousand by the end of this season and i reckon i could post consistently and grow the culture of the club and grow the engagement of the club by um taking ownership of this channel and, and helping you guys use it properly And I reckon if uh, you said that to a club president who's already got a full-time job, probably got a family to look after, and then you add in the extra hours that they do at the club, they're going to say, thank God, like, please help us. What else can you do? (laughs) Like, if you can save people's time, you you'll open up opportunities for yourself. So um, get down to your local grassroots club, come with a specific ask in mind and uh doors will, will suddenly open for you but um we um we go deep into these topics in uh the sports grad community so if anyone wants like a really sort of step-by-step um approach to doing this properly if you want to hear the q a that we have with our members and uh the further follow-up questions that they have in this topic uh there's a whole bank of these resources in the sports grad community. I think there's a one-hour webinar on this topic. There's probably a couple on this topic. We've, we've done a few yeah. from different angles. Yep. But if you want to go deep, then um, check out the sports grad community and uh, the resources that come with it.
1: Yeah, that was an awesome webinar. And I think in that session as well, we sort of go deep about how to actually approach an organization as well. So literally, you know, we almost like draft up your email, to be honest. <laughs> like we just <laughs> go deep into it. So if you are interested, uh, absolutely jump in and you can you can get more info. Uh, if you want to ask us any questions like like this one uh, or you want to ask our friends in sport a question, as we said, just become a SportsGrab member. Uh, we mentioned as well, each fortnight we jump on an online session. So whether that's speed networking or a job fair or a Q&A, that happens every fortnight. So jump in and get involved. We said this Wednesday, we've got uh, SheHoops, uh, which is from Basketball Australia, jumping on. So that's going to be a great session. So become a member between now and then and you can jump on that Uh, Anyway, in the meantime, find us on LinkedIn, find us and give us some love. If you love the show, subscribe on Apple and follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
2: Hey, guys. One last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the Sports Grad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.